<clears throat> so, good evening, everybody. And welcome. 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 One's over there. So why are you here? What are you interested in? Why are you dedicating seven days of this beautiful summer to come and be with your own body and mind, to train the mind? Some of you and you, I looked at the forms, there's about 18 of you here, it's 41 of us. Eighteen are new to Gaia House and somewhat new to practice. So it leaves about 20 to 23 who have some experience or a lot of experience in these, these uh, endeavors. So whether you're new, whether you're old, whether you're seasoned, or whether you feel completely unseasoned, completely fresh, completely, like you're not even sure if it's the right place for you to be yet. You're still kind of looking around, seeing if it feels friendly or not too weird or whatever it might be. Whether you're seasoned or new, why are you here? And it's really important to ask this question for yourself right now. You may have asked it, if you're an old practitioner, you may have asked it, 20 years ago, why do I want to practice? Why do I want to meditate? Why do I want to come into the silence? What is drawing me into seven days of silence? And I'll give you a chance to reflect on that also into tomorrow a little bit. But as we begin tonight, take a moment, see what comes now. Because if we're an old practitioner, it's really useful to get current with what's moving us to look deeply. Not assuming we already know, but what is it that's moving you right now? What do you care about in all of this? And if you're very new, what has drawn you to make this choice? Because it's not necessarily the easiest thing you could do these next seven days. There are challenges in this path. There are challenges being a human being, full stop, but being a human being who's willing to stop and take a look and train the mind. There are also great riches, great riches which are pointed to in the teachings, which we overlook in our hurry to always want to be somewhere else. Have you ever noticed that? Even if we don't think we want to be somewhere else, sometimes there's that ceaseless energy, that momentum of I'm sure there's somewhere, somewhere else I should be. Somebody mentioned it today, actually, when I arrived. Someone I know said, 
yeah, I was driving here and my mind was saying, isn't there something else I could be doing this week? You know, isn't there something else? Because to stop with this heart and mind and this body is to begin, especially in the beginning of a period of practice, to stop and see, in a way, just how crazy our mind can be. Just how much it can pull us and push us and shout at us and tell us, go here, do that, don't do that. Or we might stay frozen or stuck. We're not quite sure how to move with that. Everybody here, I, I can pretty much guarantee, is interested in the condition of their mind. Tell me if I'm wrong at the end. We care about this experience of thinking, of defining that our mind tells us who we are and tells us to not be like that and be like that and do it properly. And Or if it's not shouting at us, there can be that quiet dis-ease. The quiet dis-ease of not feeling like we've quite landed in this life yet. Everyone else looks like they have, at least they appear to. But I haven't quite fully rested, fully settled into peace. So whether our suffering is on the level of something very obvious to us, which it can be at times, the ways the mind can be distorted, can dis distort reality, and we believe it, right through to all the different degrees of suffering of the mind, right through to that existential dis-ease. It's like, ah. Uh. So we are, you are all very welcome to Gaia House, to this practice. In all your particularities, right? Each one of you here is very particular. You're particularly you, right? No one else has your body, your history, your particular things that press your buttons and things that really light you up. So to, be, to really know that we're welcome here in our particularity, our uniqueness, our specificity, Sometimes when we come to a place such as this, where a lot of the teachings will be pointing at what's beyond that, what's beyond the particular, what's beyond the specific of you. Sometimes we can get the idea that we have to kind of homogenize. We have to be a sort of guy house type person now. Or we're in reaction to that. Oh, I'm not going to be one of those guy house type people. Right? But the Dharma, the Dharma is so wide and so deep. It doesn't stop with a particularity. What unites us all and what the Buddha was pointing to is that actually this teaching is dedicated to one thing only. And that is awakening from suffering. That's it. That's it. Whoever we are, we've all got a mind, a heart. In the language that the teachings come from, um, the Pali language, the word citta, which gets translated as mind, 
doesn't really fit properly to mind. It's really heart-mind. Right? It's not just this head center. Right? It includes that. But we all have a heart-mind, a sensitivity, a resonance, a, a way that we're impacted by this life, both outer and inner. And the teachings are pointing at awakening from the suffering of the mind. The Buddha said, I teach one thing only, and that is the end of suffering. And it might be that at the moment in your life, for some, that there are particular things that are pressing in the heart-mind that are, um, sometimes we use the language of coming up, right? or events have happened in our life such that we're under a little more pressure or a lot more pressure. And I had a good look at the forms today and there's you know, a good number of people who have experienced very recently a relationship breakup. Right? Or a number of people that have experienced deaths of close people. A number with health issues or recent diagnoses or ongoing chronic health issues. Or issues with work, right? Or partners, partners' ill health. Many, many things. And for some, it's not a particular time where a lot is pressing. All of these, from where there's the, the most pressure from outer or inner events to where there doesn't seem like there's much at all at the moment. All are great opportunities for practice. I'm not talking about the events there. The events may be very difficult. But none of them are outside the remit of practice. So whatever you've come with, whether you're really would uh, assess it in terms of I'm doing really well, or actually there's really a lot up right now, or anywhere in between, Each one of us, whether it's any of those conditions, each one of us is uh, a sensitive human animal, a human creature. And this teaching points to a waking up that literally frees the mind from the forces that pull us and push us again and again, pull us into this, push us into that, react to this event, try and squeeze up down over that event, 
that that whole mind of reactivity can start to be understood, seen, and liberated, actually. And when we're not reacting to our experience, something else can open up. Something else can show up to us, which we keep missing, because we're constantly reacting to experience. So one of the things we're going to do this week, one of the very simple um, but very profound aspects of practice is to study this mind, to study the way that most of the time we don't leave ourselves alone. We're often on our case, and if we're not on our case, we're kind of saying, oh, I don't want that, I want some more of this, I don't want this. This picking and pulling, pushing and pulling, thinking we should be having some other kind of experience, because this, surely, this isn't freedom, this isn't awakening, I'm just... I've still got a personality, you know, I'm still shy, I'm still, right? Always postponing our freedom to later on when I fixed myself. And meditation actually isn't about fixing ourselves. It's freeing us up from the tendency to have to fix. This isn't actually a week to get a better personality. Sorry if, if that's a disappointment, right? Meditation isn't about being a better person, actually. Meditation is through seeing deeply and clearly the way things are, the way the mind works, the way we're often not leaving ourselves alone reacting to this, pushing against that, stepping out of that paradigm of reactivity, we start to touch something that is deeper, that we recognize, that we yearn for. Because how many of us enjoy actually being, running around in the momentum of our mind? Sometimes we enjoy it when it feels like it might give us a good story once in a while. But if, you hang, if you've hung around these circles long enough, and if you're new, you'll soon find out that even the, the promise that the, the head, we can, I'll call it for now, the head center offers, the thinking offers, the promise of, if I just think a little bit more about this, if I just sort it out in this way, that we soon get tired of it. We soon get tired of this mind running around. We're, I would say, drawn to something deeper. We're not needing to make the mind the enemy. The mind can really be in the service of this awakening. But to really, in a way, be tired out from it. Not believing everything that it says. And this is our passageway into more depth and freedom. So um, I'd like to mention a couple of things that will support this framework. And uh, did, um, th Ray, did you talk about the precepts? No, okay. So first, um, I'd like to reflect on what is called in the tradition the five precepts, the five ethical guidelines for practice, for living, actually, but for practice in this case, that are part of the foundation of our week here together. So I'll reflect on them, and I'm, we're actually asking you to take these on for this week. 
They're considered training guidelines. They're for training the mind. Um, and you'll, maybe you'll see why, either when I speak about them or as the week goes on. So the first training precept is to undertake to not harm any living being while you are here. And that includes, I don't know if there are any biting things outside, but it includes biting things. Um, this country seems quite, uh, there seems to be an absence of biting creatures, I've noticed lately. If you've lived in other countries, certain. When I lived in North America, in Massachusetts, at a, a sister center to this one here, there was different biting creatures at all different times of year, apart from winter when it was too cold to go outside. Different ones came at different times. Anyway, we don't have so many biting creatures, but free um, to really provide a sanctuary for all living beings here. Taking care if you're doing veggie chopping with the little slugs on the leeks. Right? And this has many, many levels to it. It's actually very beautiful and very profound and is actually a training for the mind as well as a big relief to the slugs and the biting things. Right? So it provides a sanctuary. At one level, it's, it provides sanctuary for all of us. And again, for the most part in this country, that's, we don't expect, for the most part, we don't expect necessarily someone to kind of shoot us or kill us, but it's not a guarantee everywhere. Right? It's at this particular time in this country, this time in history. But it's not something to be taken for granted. It's quite a profound sanctuary where we can just breathe out, as can the creatures here. And if we take that precept into the level of training, we see that it goes right through to the depth of the tendency of mind that each of us has in seed form or in very... Uh, sometimes acted out form, of the wish to annihilate that which we don't want. Right? Does that ring a bell? We may not use that language. We don't often like to see that in ourselves. But that to just get out the way. Anything that's in the way of my... What? If you examine it, if you really examine it, anything that's in the way of my... Stillness, my peace, my way. That wish to move people away in the bus queue, walking down the street. The way we do that to ourselves, of wanting to annihilate and squash and eradicate aspects of ourself. Even sometimes in the name of practice, in the name of freedom, we think we have to get rid of. It's very, very, very... Uh, you know, the language get rid of sounds really quite benign. But if we really look deeply into that way the mind takes hold of that, it's the same seed that causes human beings at time to make war, to wish to annihilate, to wish to eradicate anything that doesn't fit. The second precept is to not take things that aren't offered to you. 
So respecting the property. Again, it's part of the sanctuary in the community that you can leave things around Guy House and generally people don't seem to steal them, right? In fact, I would say they don't steal them, not generally. And again, when we trace that as a training precept right through to the mind, we see the tendency to wish to acquire, to wish to have, to wish to take something, to wish to have more for me, have more for me. And as I say this, this isn't a judgment of those tendencies. Sometimes we can hear that, oh, acquisitiveness, I'm not supposed to be greedy. It's not about that. In this practice, we're examining when that arises. You might be in the shower. This was a place that would always arise for me on retreat. And someone would always leave their really nice shampoo in the shower. The, the posh kind that I never bought. Right? And there'd be that, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. All property is theft. Ah. Oh. But that tendency to, to take for me, it's not offered. And we can just stop here because we've heard the precept and we know we're not supposed to take somebody's shampoo, even though we think, well, that's not really a big ethical infringement, you know. And we justify it to ourselves. She's probably richer than me. And, right, on, on the mind goes, mind, mind, blah. But we stop here. Oh, look at that. Look at that. And there can be such a liberation and freedom to be able to start to see, whoop, there is that tendency and I'm not acting it out and it drops away and that doesn't make us someone good or someone special or someone better. It makes us someone who's understood something about freedom just a little bit more. That there's such a freedom to not follow all those movements. At first it might feel like it's restraint. We have to kind of, whoop, Put the reins on. Right? That's okay. At first it may be restraint. Maybe restraint for a very long time with certain things. Certain things that we particularly get ourselves stuck with. No problem. And what can start off as restraint, when it's done through wisdom, when it's done through interest and love for deepening, the restraint isn't something that makes us dried up and wither. The restraint is something that leads to joy. In fact, there's a beautiful, uh, one of the translations of the way the Buddha talks about letting go. So here it's letting go, in my case, of nicking somebody's shampoo. Right? The way he talks about this kind of letting go, he says it's like trading candy for gold. Right? The candy is the stuff that we want. That's the stuff we're habituated to. To thinking will do it for me. You all know this. If I just get one more and each fill in your blank. Oh, you've probably got the few blanks. right? If I just get one more, if I just get in the first place, not one more, but if I just get in the first place, then I'll, then I'll, then I won't ask for anything else. Right? Trading, that's the candy. Trading candy. First we have to let go of the candy if we're interested in the gold. So this trading metaphor, the letting go, 
in order to discover something that we may not recognize because our gaze is fixed on those things. Those things that are outer, and sometimes we can get very sophisticated and then want to have certain inner candy. Right? So not taking what's not offered. Third precept uh, is, uh, for the purposes of the retreat is to be celibate for the retreat, to not engage in any sexual activity. In a daily life context, it's not that at all. It's about not causing harm through sexuality. Here for the retreat, it's let that be for a while. Sure, the energy may arise, but we're not following it, not following it with thought, not following it with action. Thought may arise, of course. You know, thought arises faster than a flash. Right? But we're not following that. We're not building more around that. And that's a way we can actually really understand that energy more deeply. Fourth precept to... Um, again, for the retreat purposes, is the noble silence. So you will be mostly in silence these seven days. Daily life context, again, completely different. It's not asking us to be silent. And I'll speak about that at the end, how that precept looks in daily life. But for the retreat, yeah, you'll be mostly silent, which means, um, obviously, not talking to each other, not writing notes to each other. It means also... Uh, not engaging in contact outside of here as well. So please trade your mobile phones. Um, leave them at the bottom of the suitcase or turn them off or put them in your car. Some people need a lot of support with that. They hand them in. Um, because it's such, a, it's such a thing that we can be wedded to these days. Um, so taking on the noble silence for these days to let each other have their solitude. Some of you have come with friends, partners, to let them have their silence. Right. And the fifth guideline is not taking any, any intoxicants, uh, things that cloud the mind, basically things that make it really, really difficult to practice mindfulness uh, at best and at worst can lead to all kinds of heedlessness that really stirs the mind, which I'm sure each of us know about in our own way. If you're on medication, please continue to take it. It's not about um, trying to wean ourselves off something that may be important for our health at this point, point that, that's not necessarily wise. Right? It's just alcohol and intoxicants that cloud us, that leave us unable to really take heed of what's here. And this way, taking on these guidelines, these... Um, training precepts actually 
from the level of how it affects the community here right through to the level of the subtlest movements of our mind. This is a gift. It, it, it helps establish the mind in um, being less stirred. You know how the mind can be really stirred? Where we're... Anybody here never had a stirred mind? Right? The mind can be something that can be really stirred up. And it's very painful. Very, very painful. Taking on the guidelines is like a foundation of letting that stirring come to some kind of rest. We're not getting busy with um, regretting our action here. And regret is one of the things that can really stir the mind. Okay, so I think... I'll say one more thing and then I'll get you to do something. Um, I'll just say a little bit more about the silence. Again, there's 18 or so new people and some of you will be completely new to... I don't know if anyone's new to silence, but you might be new to silence in this context where there's 40 other people and we're not really going to be talking with each other. There will be, um, practically speaking, there will be a few occasions during the week where um, you have group meetings, which I'll explain when they come along. There'll be opportunity to meet with myself or Yanai when you meet him tomorrow. Um, you'll see who he is, and then he'll be here various times during the week. Um, what it offers and again those of you who've been back again and again probably know this very well from the inside what it can really offer the outer silence is a deepening in our sensitivity to the inner life at all First, what we might see is that the inner life isn't silent, far from it, right? But it starts to attune our sensitivity to become sensitive to the possibility of a, a much, much deeper silence that is m closer to us than the thoughts in our mind. A depth of silence that predates any thought that might arise. And probably each of us, in our own way, is either somewhat drawn to that quietitude or curious about it. Or you might be just, oh, well, it's probably going to do me good, wherever you are with that. Some of us love that, love that possibility of contacting that in us which isn't necessarily calling the loudest. In one Tibetan text they say, underneath the pauper's house there are many treasures, but the pauper never listens, and the treasures never say, I am here. Underneath the pauper's house there's many treasures, but the pauper never listens. There's something about that deep listening in the silence 
where we can start to hear, yes, the, 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 the suffering and the way that our mind spins and churns and does what it does. And we can start to listen with compassion to that and deep, more and more deeply still to what doesn't call the loudest in us. It's also nice if you're not familiar with letting go of speaking. Um, often, some speech can be beautiful, it can be a beautiful way to connect, but I'm sure each of you know that it isn't necessarily that. It can also be a place where we get tripped up again and again and again. It's like, oh, what did I say that for? Oops, did that wrong, whoops. Right? So it can keep us spinning. We say something and spend the next two days regretting it. So letting go of the verbal formation can, again, allow the mind to rest a little bit more. Can also let us know who we are more deeply than how we define ourselves to others and in our mind. Right? So there's, it's, it's, and, and men and women in all cultures, in all traditions, in all times have known this power of silence for going deep. It's something that isn't, it's not Buddhist. It's something profoundly human that we recognize, that we that draws us, I would say, draws us to rest more deeply in this existence. So just before I switch tack, let's just have a half a minute, just sitting as you are, you don't need to change your posture, but just to listen to the silence of the evening, the way this evening time, the sounds of the birds start to cool out. The sheep still buying. And breathing, just letting yourself be quite natural. Listening to the sounds. And perhaps listening to the silence, even though that doesn't make any sense to our mind. How do you listen to silence? So don't worry if you don't, you're not listening to silence right now. You don't have to get that on first evening. Right? 
sometimes people notice that this meditation hall itself has a kind of silence to it. Sometimes we experience silence like a kind of a, almost like a, a vast, palpable presence. But whether or not it's something that's available to you to perceive yet isn't so important. What's more important is that you take on this practice to let yourself really take up your space in this silence. To be welcomed into this silence. It's not a punitive silence. Sometimes people have a history where silence has been something punitive. And that's, this isn't a silence to silence you. This is a silence to let you expand, to let, you, let your cells breathe out. Like on these hot days we've been having, as if you, would, if you were really hot in your skin, you would walk into a cool pool of water and just immerse yourself into this coolness and the body goes, ah. It's this kind of silence that we're being invited into. It can be uh, friendly rather than restricting. At times we might feel restricted, like we want to speak or, you know, that's that's fine. It's the mind kind of having various movements. And let's together take one deliberate in-breath and hold it at the top of the in-breath. So breathing in, hold it. And as you breathe out, follow that breath right to as it ends and it drops right back into the silence. So breathing out. And this time breathing in, holding the breath at the top. This time, breathing out and let it drop into your body. Let the breath, the out-breath, drop you further into your seat with a... (sighs) And one more, breathing in, holding the breath at the top. And you can make a sound with it if you like. It might be your last chance for big expression for the whole week. Holding the breath with a ah. Okay. So I'd like to ask you um, to do a very short little exercise together. If you read the retreat description of this retreat, it's got a title. It's called Awakening Love and Wisdom. And right at the bottom it says there will be occasional dialogue exercises. And they'll be very occasional. Um, 
So those of you who've sat in the summer in this June retreat with me before, it's not going to have the inquiry form uh, as often as we've had it in the past. It will be something occasional that will happen during the retreat. And I'll give a little, tell a little bit more about when that's going to happen. Um, but for now, what I'd like you to do is to find somebody to sit across from. Quite, it will just be for a few minutes. If one of you is in a chair, then both be in a chair so that you can be at eye level. And you're going to, one of you is just going to be completely silent, right? And the other one will just have a couple of minutes. I'll ring the bell at the end of that time. And you will just say a little bit of, um, yeah, what brings you here? What brings you here? What are you interested in? What are you curious about? Or maybe you don't know what brings you here. Right? That's okay. So actually, I don't know. I found myself booking and coming, and I'm not sure what I'm here for. And just let yourself speak for a couple of minutes just to hear yourself say and remind yourself, or maybe find out for yourself, what is bringing you here on this retreat. Okay, is that reasonably clear? Okay, so find someone to work with and then decide who's going first and then just come into silence and I'll um, guide you into the exercise. Okay. If you're a personal retreat and you don't want to join in, if it's not where you're at right now, feel free just to sit or join in as you like. Anybody need somebody to sit opposite? Is everybody who wants someone got someone? Okay. So when you've decided who's going first, just uh, let your eyes be closed again. And take a breath. It's true, this is a silent retreat where you will be mostly on your own. But for this next couple of minutes, you have a compatriot. Just take a breath where you are. Just check and see if you're holding your breath. Sometimes that happens when we meet each other. Even on some level, we know we're all in this together. Some of our biggest fears arise in relation to each other. Just take a breath and breathe out. Let the belly arrive. Take your seat. Feel your flesh upon your cushion or chair. And then let the eyes come to open. The person who's silent, have your eyes open the whole time. You're just like a silent witness for your partner. And person who's going to speak, don't worry if you have no idea what brings you here. Say that. Actually, I have no idea. Start with that. Or, gosh, the only thing I can think of is British Rail brought me here. Say that. Don't, don't, you don't have to be profound. You don't have to be someone um, else. 
Just be with what's here and just follow the thread of what is it that actually moves you to come practice. Is it around suffering? Is it around awakening? Is it that you love meditation? Is it that you're just curious? Is it that someone else told you to come because they think you talk too much? You know, whatever it is, say what it is. It's really useful to hear ourselves say it. And don't be shy. Well, you might be shy, but to notice if you can share what is very close to you. What do you really care about in this exploration of having a human heart-mind and body? It's a very profound thing we're doing here together. So, yeah, person who's going to speak first, what brings you here? Please just see what comes, and I'll ring the bell in a couple of minutes. Please begin. And don't worry if you haven't given your definitive answer. You'll get another go in a a moment. But person two now, have a couple of minutes. What brings you here?
Thank you. And you'll each get just one more minute if there's something that's occurred to you since. Okay, so back to person one. If you've absolutely said anything, said everything, and you're silent, that's fine. And see if anything else bubbles up. So what brings you here, person one? Any last comments from person two? What brings you here? Okay, and then come back to your place. So what did you find out? Anybody willing to tell us what brings you here? (laughs) What 
does bring you here. Because knowing what brings us here, actually, that's usually where the energy is, what we really care about or what we're really interested in. or And we need energy for this practice. What brings you here? Anyone willing to tell us? You want to go further and deeper somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Anything else? You want to be born in this very present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Birth and death are not really here. Right, you want to see beyond the paradigm of birth and death. Yeah. There's just here. And we'll be doing a lot of there's just here this week. Yeah. And what surprised you about hearing yourself say you want to see beyond the paradigm of birth and death. I just um, felt the wisdom of it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right, you could sense the heart's knowing of that. Yeah, because all the things that we can discover in the Dharma, they're not new in a sense. We know them deeply already. There's a realization, a recognition of what is actually true. And there is something that calls us and knows that which is beyond the, the coming and going, the birth and death, the, the constant arising and passing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. I'm here to harmonize with a higher part of myself that is unknown to Okay. Did you hear that okay at the back? Can I repeat it? To harmonize with a higher part of herself that is unknown to you. And is the unknown, is it intuited? Or is it that someone tells you? No, it's intuitive. Okay, yeah. But I have to let go of the identity attachment to the divinity I do know to do that. Right, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we can even have the spiritual attainments or places where we've come to that this practice constantly asks us to keep letting go, to keep letting go of even what we've already understood. Yeah. Yes. Um, I found myself saying that I'm here for my heart. Mm-hmm. I first started doing it. 
to a retreat, I felt like my compassion was blocked. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel able to help other than in obvious ways. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to come, to open the heart. But it feels it's my own heart that needs something, connecting with right. healing or something. So when you heard yourself say, I've come for my heart, you, um, you felt a response. Okay, yeah, come to heal the heart. Yeah, there's a depth of contact we can have with ourself that is infinite. This, one of the ways the heart is spoken about in the tradition is, is um, the qualities, one of them is compassion, one of them is joy, one of them is kindness, there's many, but they're, unfat- they're uh, unlimited. They're unlimited. The depth of connection to our heart is vast, the potential there. So sometimes we can sense that very tangibly. That's what's calling me here. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, anything else? Yes, uh, lady behind Michael. I found I've been doing coming on retreat in the past when I've had lots of changes and anxiety, and at the moment I feel quite content. So I was very curious to come on retreat and, and kind of see. What happens when I'm? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a curious place, interesting place to start from, yeah. You can feel that curiosity. It's like, oh yeah, I know what's to come when I'm really su- obviously suffering with anxiety. And But right now, things are okay. What's going to happen? Yeah. It's like, like an adventure then. Yeah. Anything else anyone wants to say? Yeah. I was really surprised uh, to say that I was here for, for each other. Uh-huh. I didn't think that. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> huh? It sounds contrived. It sounds contrived, but it's, it didn't come contrived when you said it. Yeah. He said he was surprised to hear himself say it because it's not something he normally thinks. I'm here for each other. Yeah. How did it affect you to hear yourself say that? Scary. Scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, only scary. Peace, there's, peace too. there's peace too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we're we're there's a very profound way that we 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 are here for each other, and, and we might even know that on some level, but there's a depth of knowing that that sounds like it's calling. Yeah, we're here for all of you lot. Yeah, thank you. Any last comments? Um, I'm here for the silence. It sounds strange to talk into it. Um, but I, I came on retreat last year and I found the silence was amazing, very liberating. Um, yeah. And allowed me to really um, look inside and, pro- well, I don't like to use the word progress, but. Um, you hear at the back yeah so she's here for the silence so and and has already got a friendship with it from last or some kind of relationship with the silence from last year that took you into realizing that the practice was important yeah thank you yeah let's
take just a breath together, just to hear, let resonate the comments that came and whatever is in your own mind, your own heart-mind. One important thing when we start to hear the comments from each other, when we're in the seat of listening to those, to really be clear that we keep our judge of ourself out of it. Right? We might hear other people say very profound things and think, well, I don't know why I'm here. I'm not very profound. Or whatever it might be. To really keep the judgment aside, to let your, to really trust what is actually coming through for you, which might be, I don't know why I'm here. I really don't know. Or it might be, actually, I'm really struggling at the moment and I just want some refuge, some sanctuary. So please keep faith with what is true and real for you, even if it's that you had no responses. One thing we, one of the big things we learn in this practice is that that comparing mind, one of the very painful things we have as a human being, where we're always comparing as either better than, we're better than, we're worse than, and the Buddha has a whole nother take on it, which is, I won't get into, but he, he says it's even a comparison to say we're the same as, but that's, you know, for another day. Um, but the way we're constantly comparing, is something that we may come across, maybe a particular tendency in our mind, and one that we really want to see and name for what it is. And we'll have a chance to work with that. Some of these things will get clearer over the days. To see the particular ways we, the mind starts to spin into suffering for us. Okay, so thank you for, your, for doing the exercise. Um, what we'll do before we end tonight, we'll have a short sitting together. Uh, I'll tell you what the schedule looks like for tomorrow. But before we do that, let's come to standing and move our bodies a little bit together. Okay. So let's... So... Um... Yeah, I'll do the schedule afterwards. Let's just have a sitting. Take So taking a seat, I'll say more about posture tomorrow. If you're new or newer to practice, I'll give guidelines around sitting posture. But for now, a seat that is allows you to be reasonably upright.
and a seat where your buttocks can really drop into the cushion. Right, so just a way to check that. Just tense the buttock muscles for a moment and drop them down into the cushion, really taking a seat here. The physicality part of it is important. And let's begin by taking three deliberate breaths together just to get here. So breathing in. And breathing out with a sigh if you have one. And breathing in. Breathing out into the body. And last deliberate breath. Breathing in. And for now, settling into your seat of practice. Letting your body take up the room that it takes up. So there's room for your belly and room for the sides of your arms. You're not holding yourself down. There's space around the outsides of the upper arms that they can breathe too. That the muscles of the face can be can be soft. And resting in your posture. And let the natural, organic experience of your body breathing. Let your body just do its thing with the breathing. Body breathes in and your body also knows how to breathe out. It doesn't have to be a perfect breath. Let it breathe as it does. And the meditation is to know this. Knowing intimately that right here and now your body is breathing in. And it's breathing out.
It's something actually very natural. And we're simply using this natural function of breathing. We're supporting the attention, that capacity to know through direct experience what is actually happening right now. And so when the mind wanders and we start thinking about the exercise we did 20 minutes ago, or we think about going to bed or whatever we're thinking about, to recognize that, to pause, to drop back into your seat and once again let the experience of the body breathing come to the foreground. The sensations of the body breathing and the knowing of it that direct, intimate knowing this awake, aware capacity to register experience moment by moment by moment. So let's sit for a few minutes together just training in this way. Mind wonders, you recognize it whenever you do. You unhook without judgment or analysis. You drop back into body, feel your seat, and let the breathing experience come to the foreground. And know it. Breathing in, knowing that you're breathing in and breathing out, knowing that you're breathing out. So the schedule for tomorrow is up on the board, probably some of you saw it. We'll have a wake-up bell at 6.30 and we'll meet in here at 7 for a sitting before breakfast. Breakfast at 7.30. At 8.15, uh, probably three-quarters of you have got a work period. Um, I'll speak a little bit about how we can include that as the days go on. Um, those working, be sure to finish your work at 9.15, even if there's um, you know, endless more tasks you can do, um, so that you can have a drink and a, a relax before you come in for the morning 
Meditation instructions at 9.40. So it's the framework for meditation. I'll be setting the framework for the day of the sitting meditation. And the day weaves between sitting meditation, walking, and some standing meditation, just a little bit. Um, After lunch at 2.40, there's a guided practice period each day. And mostly that will be guided meditations. Occasionally we might do little dialogue exercises, but I'll give you warning about what we're going to do. Um, and then the day goes through to tea, and in the evening there's a Dharma talk where I'll give more teachings and explanation and context, actually, for what we're doing here. Um, So in the sitting before breakfast tomorrow, if you're new, I haven't given very much instruction yet, simply take the instruction that's been there tonight to establish your seat, right? to let the experience of the the body breathing just start to get recognized, to start to be known, to start to be aware of this moment to moment. It might sound a little diffuse to start with. Um, when the mind wanders and you notice you're off thinking and you're not with the breathing experience, come back and begin again. And then in the sitting after breakfast, that's when I'll give much more detailed meditation instructions. Okay, um, so let's see what else you need to know. Ah, yeah, another thing that we recommend, strongly recommend to you, as well as turning off your mobile phones, um, is to refrain from reading while you're here. So if you've bought any books to read or things to study, see if you can let them go for the week um, to not fill up in that realm, in that department, to not fill up in the more knowledge department at this point. It can be a beautiful thing to do, but there's something that can happen when we let go of that as a main medium for knowing our knowing in practice drops from from only the intellectual knowing into a different kind of knowing. So please let the books go. Or if you've brought any projects with you, um, you know, you're going to write your autobiography or knit some socks or, um, I don't know, leave projects aside. So the more that we can let go of voluntarily, the more empty space there is, which can terrify us to start with. Um, like, oh, what do we do? Nothing to do. Let me go and knit some socks. But if we can leave ourselves alone in that empty space, what may start off as something we want to fill up can become one of our deepest friends. So I invite that. There's no book police here. We won't be checking up on you. But um, I invite that. It's a, and it's not just me inviting it. It's, it's got a history to, in the tradition to let go of that for a while and see what happens. See what happens. Um, probably a good number of you are sharing rooms. If you haven't said hello to your roommate yet, it's fine to say hello tonight. Um, and then leave each other alone. Right? Then the conversation ends and you know, we just kind of negotiate of this room-sharing business without talking to each other, which is a little weird if you haven't done it before. can seem a little weird. It can also be quite lovely. Um, you might need to decide tonight if the window's going to be open or closed and then leave it, um, you know, 
probably all have different opinions about whether windows should be open or closed, and that could take up the whole week to discuss that. So just discuss, decide tonight, let it go, and then let each other have their solitude for the week. Um, are there any practical questions at this point as we're getting into the retreat? Okay. Okay, so have a good night's sleep. If you're a light sleeper, um, I don't know, maybe Ray told you about the earplugs. You do. <laughs> I use earplugs here because it tends to be a lot of wakefulness uh, People often find just from the wakefulness of the practice can be a lot of wakefulness here and the mind can become very awake. Um, a lot of sound. So get some earplugs if you need them. Otherwise, I wish you a good settling in and we meet in the morning for a sitting at seven. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.